0: Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com.
1: As we get into this topic, I want to get into a specific mindset. So, I just want to ask you as we get started: What's the most dangerous thing you've ever done? And some of you here, you've been skydiving. Uh, bungee cord jumping, whatever it is different things, some of you have tried parenting there's different things <laughs> you've probably done that have been dangerous experiences in your life, caving, motorcycle riding, if you've ever tried cycling in this area, Can be inc- I know we have a lot of them but it's one of the most dangerous things you can ever do I have a friend who was in special ops in the military he said one of the most dangerous things I've ever done is tried to ride my bike on the roads here in Raleigh and so some of you have done that some of you have served in the military, how many of you have served in the military would you just raise your hand, you give them a hand thank you so much Thank you so much for your service and uh, willingness. Some of you have even seen battle and so risked your lives. Some of you have been in, in dangerous experiences where your life has been risked. Maybe you didn't plan it, a car accident, everything like that. But what's the most dangerous thing you've ever done? Get that at the forefront of your mind. And Then I want to share with you, maybe you're wrong about your answer. What if it's actually something you would have never guessed by me just asking that question? This week, I was reading a book called Tempted and Tried by Russell Moore. I recommend the book. You can check it out. But when I was reading it, there was this one story in there that he was telling about a time when he was riding in his car, and he was listening to the radio, and listening to a public radio station, and he heard this rhythmic sound, it tsh, 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 tsh. It sounded kind of like a train coming on wooden tracks, kind of, you know, from off in the distance, or if you've heard a thunderstorm coming off the coast, just heard this continual rhythm. It was almost a soothing sound that he heard. And then he realized the radio program he was listening to was talking about taking cows to the slaughterhouse. But what they were talking about was how to kill cows with kindness, which I thought, well, that's a catchy title, killing cows with kindness. And so what I'm about to share with you, if you're an animal lover, you're going to like this. And if you like to eat meat, you're going to like this. Because listen, here's what they were talking about. It was actually about factory farming. And they were talking about how some of the big slaughterhouses wanted to be sure they could kill cows in the kindest way they possibly could, but not because they loved animals so much. Because what they had found out, what scientists had realized was that if animals were stressed when they were being killed, it downgraded the beef. And so there was one scientist in particular who came up with this study that ended up showing the key was don't introduce any novelty to the cows. They can't see anything new on the the day on their way to the slaughterhouse. And so somebody came up with this technology where they actually simulated the cows walk home on a regular basis on the day that they came to the slaughterhouse. So on the big slaughterhouses, what they will do There's none of this like you see in the movies, prodding them and yelling at them to get them off the trailer. What they do is when they bring them in on the truck, there's total silence. The cows step off the truck, and they think they're going out onto the ground, but they're actually stepping onto a conveyor belt, and that was the sound of the hooves. And they start walking, and everything's been simulated. The sights, the sounds, the smells. They initially go through a little chute that presses around them, gives them some pressure, and reminds them of a mother cuddling them and they start to walk on this conveyor belt. There's no sharp turns, just kind of mosey around, these rounded turns as they head up, and eventually they don't even realize they're not walking on the ground anymore. They're being carried by this conveyor belt until they're transitioned (laughs) from livestock to meat by a surgical strike that hits them between the eyes. The scientists who, who discovered all of this process said the key is to keep them comfortable and unaware. What if, when I asked you what's the most dangerous thing you've ever done, you were wrong? And the most dangerous thing that's ever been introduced into your life is something you've become incredibly comfortable with, casual with, maybe even complacent towards? Today, we're talking about sexual immorality, and sex is everywhere. I don't think I have to convince anyone of that. We use sex to sell almost every product known to man. How sexy is a cheeseburger? I mean, come on. Like, sex is so normal, it's just part of... How, what does it have to do with anything to do with sports? But it, it's just normal part of our lives. And so what happens is we become conditioned, complacent, and very comfortable with things that are incredibly sexually immoral. I want to read you a quote, another book that I recommend, is called A Hole in Your Holiness by Kevin DeYoung. Let me read you this quote from his book, chapter 8. He says this talking about sexual morality in that particular chapter. He says, if we could transport Christians from almost any other century to any of today's Christian country, Christian countries, the country's not Christian, people are christians but anyway, Christian countries in the West, I believe what would surprise them most, besides our phenomenal affluence, is how at-home Christians are with sexual impurity. It doesn't shock us, it doesn't upset us, it doesn't offend our conscience. In fact, unless it's really bad, sexual impurity seems normal just a way of life, and often downright entertaining. What's the most interesting you've ever done? Think about that as we turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we continue in our series we've been doing called Letters to RDU. Now, you might be a guest here today, and you think to yourself, we're looking at a letter, it's almost 2,000 years old, and you might not know the exact date of it. It's about 2,000 years old, and we're calling this series Letters to RDU. Why would we do that? Here's why. The Corinthians were incredibly overly sexualized. And if you were here the first week we were doing this study, I talked about the temple of Aphrodite that overlooked the town of Corinth, city of Corinth, had a thousand temple prostitutes that would descend on the city every evening so people could be with them for worship. I told you a couple weeks ago that the term to, to Corinthianize was actually a synonym for sexual immorality. These are the people. Now think about the parallels of our city. Anybody who flew into this city this week, knows that welcoming you as you come into the airport is a strip club. Welcome to Raleigh, it's the triangle. And so we could talk about how that's a parallel with the temple of Aphrodite, but probably the bigger altar happens at computer screens all across the triangle. Or inappropriate relationships on campuses or in cubicles all across the triangle. These incredible parallels to this book is why we're calling it Letters to R.D.U. And what we've seen so far is there's a lot of issues in this church. For the first four chapters, we talked about division in the church because they were actually following, instead of following the message of the cross of Christ, they were following the messengers of the cross of Christ. Some followed Paul, some followed Apollos, and some followed Cephas. And Paul's going, this, and Paul's one of the guys, he's going, this is ridiculous, you're missing the point. It's causing division in the church. And then, then we saw in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was sexual immorality in the church, not just in their culture in the church is so bad, people outside the church can't believe it. And then last week we saw things are so bad. Christians, can you even imagine this? Christians are suing other Christians. And this week what we do is go back to the topic of sex, but instead of addressing the church as a whole like he did in chapter 5, now he's talking to us individually in the church. And so look what he says. We talk about sexual sin. I've titled this message, The War Within. First Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. We left off in verse 11 last week. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up. So your body is it's going to be part of eternity. Raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now, this is a pretty scandalous metaphor. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who joins, is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin. Okay, so pause right there. Before even what he's going to say next... Some of us have this false teaching that all sin is the same. It's not. All sin is not the same. He's about to tell us sexual sin is different. Now, if you read your Bible as a whole, you'll find out sexual sin is not the worst sin you can commit. The worst sin is rejecting Christ, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But sexual sin is not the same as other sins. And so we'll see what he says here. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? And so remember in chapter 3 we talked about how God, the church, is God's temple. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells here. But he's saying you individually are too, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So here, Paul's writing to these folks. Don't forget how overly sexualized they are. And you know what he's saying? Wake up! Warning! Warning! And what he talks about in, in this chapter, chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, is the dangers of sexuality. See, sex is not bad. Let me start off by saying this. Sex is a good thing. It's a good gift by God. But it's also a powerful thing. And when twisted, it becomes incredibly dangerous. And so we're going to talk about sex over the next two weeks. Next week's going to be a more positive message on sex. I wish we could just go there. I wish we could just start there. But we're so like the Corinthians. We've got to start where Paul starts. And he starts with the negative. This has been twisted and abused. And so you've got the negative message today talking about sexual immorality. Next week we're going to talk about God's good gift that God's given us and the way that sex is supposed to be experienced and supposed to be used. But today it starts with a warning. And what Paul starts with here is he shares with us that sexual sin, it promises us pleasure, but it brings us bondage. And that's our first point today. Sexual sin or sexual immorality, it promises us pleasure, but it brings us bondage. See, all sin gives us false promises. We see that from Genesis chapter 3 in the garden, but, but sexual sin is unique, and it, it, it portrays the picture of what God designed it to deliver, and we see all these pleasurable statements about sex throughout the Bible. So it's not just, I remember the first time I ever preached on sex at Southbridge, I actually had a guy that wanted to meet the next week who said, I didn't know the Bible talked about this. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, I used to tell kids, your parents won't let you watch R-rated movies, but they want you to read the Bible. That's funny. Read Genesis. Don't even start at Song of Solomon. Just read Genesis. It's all over the Bible. God's not afraid to talk about this. I know some of us are tense today that this is the topic. God's not afraid to talk about it. And we're going to talk more about the positive next week, but when I talk about sexual sin or sexual immorality, let me be clear about what we're talking about it's all sex outside of God's design for sex. God's design for sex, we see at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, one man, one woman, and a covenant relationship called marriage. God designed marriage. We don't get to define it. He defined it. He created it. And sex is supposed to happen in those parameters, those guardrails for sex. Everything else is what we're talking about, is sexual immorality. Okay, so we don't have to define everything else. Hopefully, we don't have to define everything else. Here's what sexual immorality. Oral sex, outside of marriage, that's sexual immorality. Sex with a computer screen that Jesus said in the, in, the, in the Gospels. He said, if a man commits adultery in his heart, lusts in his heart, he's already committed adultery. That's, that's sexual. Two married people that aren't married to each other. That's sexual immorality. A married person with an unmarried person. Two people before they're married. Two people that have been married, but now they're not married. They're going to have somebody else. All of that. Everything outside of God's plan. That's what we're talking about when we say sexual morality And sexual immorality promises you pleasure, brings you bondage. Now there's lots of things we could say that it promises. It promises you good, it brings you guilt. It promises you privacy, it brings you shame. It promises you freedom, it brings you bondage. And that's what it talks about in this passage, is the bondage. Go back up to verse 12. Did you notice how Paul starts? And I'm gonna read you verse 12 again but I wanna point out something to you. He doesn't talk about behavior here. It's interesting, Paul goes, he goes beyond the behavior, he goes to the thinking. Because here's the reason. Right thinking leads to right living. Wrong thinking leads to wrong living. They've got, as the Corinthians, they're so overly sexualized, they get all this wrong thinking. And and notice what I'm going to read to you in verse 12 is in quotation marks, some people think that they're quoting Paul. Look at what it says. All things are, are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And then in quotation marks again, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And so why is this in quotation marks? Here's why because this is a popular slogan of the Corinthians. We don't know for sure that they were quoting Paul, but most scholars agree that they were using this slogan as a reason to justify and rationalize their sin. Now, if Paul said this statement, we know about Paul's teaching all throughout the Bible, this is something he would say. In the context of talking about legalism, specifically Jewish legalism, you're no longer under the law. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. You're not obligated to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. All that happened at the cross. And so Paul may have said, all things are lawful for me in the context of talking about Jewish legalism. And now they're taking that principle out of context. Can I give a little pause here, a little pause? I am almost always trying to teach our church that the key to Bible study is context. Context is king. Some of you are realtors. Context, 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 not location. Where's it located in the Bible? Context, context, context. Because you can take things that are true out of their context they become untrue. See, it is true that you can't do anything to earn your salvation. You're saved by grace. Your works don't matter. It is true that there's nothing you can do that makes God love you more or makes God love you less. You don't make God love you because of your works. Your works don't matter. What's not true is your works don't matter. So if you take that statement out of context, then you can make say something that's not true, and that's what they've done. And so what Paul does is he uses these quotation marks, but then he brings clarification. All things are lawful for me? Then he says, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are beneficial. And so what they're saying is, well, everything's allowed, so we can do whatever we want. <laughs> and Paul's going, you're asking a bad question. You're asking a question of what can I do and God not get mad at me? What can I do and God not stop loving me? It's like when I was a youth pastor, I remember kids would always ask this question. How far is too far? Did anyone ever tell you there's no such thing as a bad question? They lied to you. (laughs) That's a bad question. Do you know why it's a bad question? It comes from a bad premise. It comes from this idea of how close to sin can I get and me and God still be cool? A better question is, what would God desire for me? And that's what Paul's saying when he says, not all things are beneficial. The word beneficial there when it's used throughout the book of Corinth our Corinthians, is it's talking about serving someone else. What's beneficial for the other person? Think about how that would transform our sexuality. Because all the forms of sexuality I mentioned earlier, pornography, whatever, different types of using people outside of marriage, you're always dehumanizing, objectifying the other person for your own benefit, your own gain. What can I get, why do, they, why do you think they call it? and here's some you're glad the kids aren't here, getting off? Really? You think that's God's design for sex? See, what we do is we dehumanize and objectify the other person so that we can get something from them. And what Paul's saying here, in the context of talking about sexual immorality, is saying, how could you build your sister in Christ up in their faith? How could you you help your brother in Christ love Jesus more? You see, the Bible says that, that without faith it's impossible to please God. So how can we have sexual relations by faith? Well, it's going to be serving and loving one another for what's beneficial, Paul said, but then he goes on, he says this, all things are lawful for me, I'll not be dominated by anything, that we dominated, can also be translated mastered, the, the revised standard version translates it enslaved, and so here's the reality, sexual immorality promises you pleasure, and in the moment, sin's always pleasurable in the moment, but it brings you bondage how i jotted down just four ways this week when i was thinking just in my study so this is an exhaustive list but i'll just give you four four ways that sexual sin brings us bondage the first one is that, how about shame many people know what it's like to live in the, the bondage to shame and slave to shame called the prison of shame think about genesis chapter three adam and eve were together and what was god's plan for them in their sexual relationship they felt no shame can you imagine what that was like? They were totally naked, in each other's presence, no embarrassment, no shame. Then they sin. They try to define what is right and what is wrong. They try to know good and evil. And then what happens? What's the first thing they do? They cover themselves. Then God comes looking for them and they hide, which leads us to the second prison that sexual sin leads us to, it's the prison of secrecy, A secrecy. See how many people in this room, statistically, I'm not telling because you've told me your story, statistically are living in a prison of secrecy. And what, the, You want to identify if that's you? Here it is. No one can ever know this about me. And you know what's just happened? You blocked yourself off from intimacy forever. They can't know me fully. And you know what will happen? You can't know them fully either because you're not allowing yourself to be fully known. And so you see it with guys like David in the Bible. Remember when he sins with Bathsheba? Those of you who are familiar with that story. If you don't know that story, please go read it. for Samuel. And what ends up happening? He sleeps with a woman who's not his wife, even though he's got a whole bunch of mistresses. He sleeps with a woman who's not his wife, and he's got to cover it up. And so he lies to cover that up. And then he he has to kill a guy in the process. The name's Uriah. Kills that guy, covering it up. You get into what's called the cycle of sin. One sin leads to another sin. We've, I've had I had one brother in our church, a friend of mine, who told me he used to lie so much in his sin that he had to keep a journal. Because he couldn't remember what lies he told to who. Because if you lived life, you just know this is what I experienced. But if you're lying, you're like, in this situation, I told this, and he was right. That's the cycle of sin, just so you know. I hope none of you are that far down the cycle, but some of us get to where David's at. We watched a movie on Tuesday night with our church called Unplanned. It's out of the theaters. I recommend you go check it out. And the movie is about abortion. And I, won't, I don't want to ruin the movie in telling you, but I would tell you, it's, go check it out. It's, again, one uh, I wouldn't take little kids to, but could be incredibly healing and redeeming for, for many people's lives. At the end, one of the members of our church, uh, her name is Wendy. Wendy's gotten up here on the stage before, done announcements, Wendy Bonano, She's the executive director at Gateway Pregnancy Center. She was sharing some statistics that were overwhelming to me. Said in the US, annually, there's about a million abortions a year, okay? That's terrible. We've heard terrible stats on abortion before. Listen to this. Very conservative statistic, very conservative, is that 200,000 of those are committed, born-again Christian women. They cost, at a low, low estimate, an abortion costs $500. So that means evangelical Christians that are, you know, very pro-life, we don't want to fund the abortion, only fund a Planned Parenthood, are funding it about $100 million a year. So she shares that. That's overwhelming. But then when she shared how and why from her firsthand experience, not around the world, here in the triangle, you know how it happens? And she told a story about girls, Christian girls, coming to the pregnancy center and saying, I have to get an abortion because my parents can't know that I'm having sex. My church can't find out. That's the prison of secrecy so, you covering up sin one more sin. No one can know, and you've been blocked in intimacy. Other prisons, prison of a past. Some Christians will never live to their full potential of what God desires for them to live because they're, yes, it's been forgiven, and yeah, but I'll, you're afraid. And then Satan uses the images you have in your mind from your past, the experiences you have in your mind from your past, as deceptive ways to keep you from ever stepping out by faithfully. So you get prison of shame, prison of secrecy, prison of past, and I haven't even mentioned addiction. Can you believe we've been talking about enslavement? And we haven't even talked about addiction? I could share stats, but you know what the reality is? It's all underreported. If you're addicted sexually, you're enslaved. And to help teach this truth today, I've got a special friend that's here with me, and her name is Becky McDonald. Uh, Becky is the president and founder of Women at Risk International. And so I'm going to invite her to come on up right now. Becky, if you don't mind coming up, would you give her a welcome, just a Southbridge welcome as she comes up? Becky uh, works specifically, we we'll talk talking about enslavement, in a ministry of human trafficking. And that she's been fighting this battle and this context well before this was even, like, before most Christians even knew that human trafficking was a thing, yeah. for about three decades now. Yeah. And so we are super thankful thank that you're you. here, Becky. So Thanks thank you so much me. for being here with us and thank you uh, for
0: being a brave audience
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah they didn't all leave when i prayed right that's (laughs) awesome (laughs) um becky has uh some of you've heard of her ministry before usually if you're a first-time guest when we fill out your connection card we make a donation to their to their ministry and they've been a strategic partner of ours because they're gospel believing want to connect people to jesus for life change just like we do and doing it just in a different context than the local church as missionaries And um, I think it'd be awesome for folks just to hear from you. I know they're going to hear more from you tonight, Mm -hmm. but could you just share a little bit, how did you get involved with this?
0: Well, I had the greatest privilege in the world of growing up overseas as a missionary kid in Pakistan. I went there when I was five. My father was a surgeon, a missionary doctor, and me and my brothers moved there, and I spent all my formative years in land steeped in traditions of the Taliban, ISIS, and Al-Qaeda. And by the age of 14, I had already been through two wars that we stayed there through so that my father could protect the Bangladeshi people. And at age 14, it was a civil war where Pakistan, West Pakistan, where I went to boarding school, conducted a genocide against East Pakistan. India came to our defense, and so we won the war. But my 14-year-old girlfriend was attacked by the men of her family, and raped and fought back. And to teach her, you're a woman, you have no voice. Not all Muslim contexts are like this, but in conservative, where I was, they were. And um, so they taught her that she was property, she was bought and sold in a marriage contract, how dare you cry out and fight back. And so they threw acid, not in her face as usual, but down her throat to take away her vocal cords forever. And God used the acid of her suffering to burn a hole in my heart and set me on a pathway of being the voice of the silenced and giving voice and just giving them the message, this is not your fault, you are not the sum total of all the junk that's been done to you. You are who God says you are. So today, Women at Risk International is in 55 countries and we address 15, 14 different risk issues but we are most known for our fight against human trafficking because it's the fastest growing arm of crime, it's growing faster than guns and drugs, and because the United States of America has a bigger problem here than we do internationally. And so um, we've been stepping into that issue as well.
1: Hmm. And I've never asked you this before, but I'm just curious, does your friend know that this ministry even exists?
0: My friend died in her 40s. I'm 60, so she'd be 60. And life expectancy in Bangladesh is very short. But she did come to know Jesus Christ as her oh. personal savior and met a man and married oh, him. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. yeah. Cool. That's great. And that's the joy, seeing men, women, and children come to know their true worth in Christ. And we don't bop them over the head with the Bible, we don't have to. We just love on them where Christ was skin on. And when they ask us, why do you care when nobody cares? Mm. It's the million dollar question. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of people experience different things, maybe not that exact story, but mm-hmm. and wonder how could God let this happen? Why did this happen in my life? And yeah. and then to see that God can, when Satan's ruling, God can overrule. And thousands well, of people have been touched. Obviously, and
0: thousands of um, survivors who would stand here and tell you that what. Satan meant for evil in their life, God has used for good, and they have turned around and taken that platform of suffering, and they are now to other people what nobody was to them, and they celebrate the fact that God trusted them with suffering, and that they have, can now use that to help rescue others.
1: Well, know in our audience we've got a diverse group of folks here different experiences mm-hmm. to talk about this topic even i know tonight a lot of people won't come back because they think it doesn't apply to them or different things mm-hmm. along those lines <laughs> all they do is they hear every once in a while somebody like you a missionary comes who's talking about something that's happening in asia rushed out different places yeah. and it doesn't seem real to them maybe a pastor shares a stat or something tell us a little bit about what you see
0: Well, um, we were very involved internationally, obviously, and then about 12 years ago, Homeland Security called my office in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they were coming there three times a week. They now have a full-time staff there. But they were looking at that time for a six-month-old in the United States of America pay-per-view of a live um, feed of a rape of a six-month-old in this country. And we had just rescued a two-week-old, sold for $200, rescued at one-month-old. And so I was sharing with them that the face of trafficking globally is becoming babies. And they say, oh, yeah, it is here too. And I was devastated that in the land of the free, we are selling our children. And I discovered then that we have up to 300,000 minors in this country, your daughter, my daughter, your granddaughter, my granddaughter or son, that are at risk. There are 17,500 foreigners that are brought here against their will and sold to do things they wouldn't do on their own, Force coercion and fraud, but what I discovered is that right in our own country, minors, it's just a minor statistic, up to 300,000 minors, New York, one um, study, 3,500 minors for sale at any given time, mostly on the internet, and we have seen, I've been um, called in as an expert witness in the Senate subcommittees, we have seen testimony of six-day-old in this country with the umbilical cord still attached, being raped and attacked, and I'm here to you that we are no different than any other country. It is hidden here because of secrecy and because of a lot of reasons we began doing. I was just in Maryland yesterday. We did an eight-hour training on the 15 demographics. Raleigh has 13 of them. Grand Rapids has 12 of them. The 22 signs, the 21 lures. And unfortunately, this is our problem. This is in our churches. One of our victims' mothers uh, sold her from age 2 to 11, and she hunted at churches, mega churches in Chicago, and she got close to their nurseries, got into fa- with families and babysat their kids so that she could exploit and sell their kids. So there's no community that is um, not at risk with this, whether you're rural or city or whatever. And so my passion is that you rise up and circle your cradle because I'm a mom. And I'm a Christian, and I'm a human being, and I'm here to tell you and sound the cry that your children are at risk, and what we are doing in this country is selling out our most precious, precious treasure, our children, and nobody's talking about it. Mm -hmm.
1: A lot of the parents here that hear that, are obviously, they wanna protect their kids, but one of the statistics I see all the time, and you and I have talked about this already, is how pornography is directly connected to human trafficking.
0: Yes, if you go on our website and you look in the media section, there's a half an hour interview with a Homeland Security woman who happens to be a believer. And I asked her, what is one thing that you would want people to know if I couldn't tell them anything else about trafficking? And she said, tell them that porn is not cartoons. It's real people and it is, you know, a wildfire and if you start studying the chemistry of what it does to the brain, it changes the chemistry. go and watch a TED talk on it you'll see what I'm talking about the the nature of drug addiction is that you need more 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 drugs right to get the same high but the chemistry of pornography addiction sexual addiction is you need different 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 to get the same high and so that's why it goes sideways and south and that's why it turns into all of this stuff. And unfortunately, unfortunately, your pastor already used the, the oral sex word. So he asked me to come and speak to you on Sunday morning and say that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be tarred and feathered. <laughs> but um, I honor a brave man who will speak to you honestly and openly. But this generation does not view that as sex. And because of that, the uh, trafficker has reached into that and manipulates that. And the newest trend in the United States of America is 15 to 18-year-old cool girls at school recruiting your 9 to 12-year-old to go to a party that they cannot drive themselves home from. And if you don't remember anything else I say today, please hear this from my heart to yours. Trafficking is not a gender problem. This is not men's fault. Yes, men are the buyers, but the trafficker, the person that does the forced coercion and fraud, 60%, according to a UN study, are women, and so this may be a girl inviting your daughter to a sleepover. Shauna Newell, 14-year-old, goes to a sleepover in Pensacola, Florida, and sold for $300,000 for her virginity. It might be Teresa Flores, upper-middle-class girl who needs a ride home from school, and her mom's late, and she gets permission to go home with a boy that she knows from church, and he puts date rape drug in her Coca-Cola, rapes her, and then blackmails her with this. So this is um, this is a wildfire, because your child can be sitting in their classroom, minding their own business, American history, getting 40 hits an hour text messages, hey, honey, meet me at McDonald's, I'm 13, you're 13. No, they're not. And I know a girl who disappeared from a Wendy's, and over 90% of all trafficking happens with someone you know. This is not kidnapping, that's 3%. This is someone you know or think you know. And so we have to get our guard up as parents and smell the sewer. Rhoda Kershaw was scammed for her voice by American Talent Agency at 18, sold to the Japanese mafia gang raped for four days in a five-star hotel, miraculously escaped. And she said, Becky, when you're speaking to Christians, please tell them. She grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, wasn't allowed to watch TV to keep her innocent. She said, I wasn't innocent. I was stupid. Raise your children to be wise as serpents, not dumb as doves. Mm -hmm. And you know, I grew up with serpents. I hunted and trapped with my brothers because when you're in the middle of nowhere and you have no electricity and no TV and no Toys or Us, <laughs> you do stupid stuff like that. But I don't like the idea of raising my children to be wise as a cobra yeah. or a python. But that is what God calls us to do, to be that circle of protection to those we love.
1: Yeah. And so Some of the stuff that I've read it basically says to you, cause some of you might be deceiving yourself to sit there and think, well, I only look at porn that's free and it's only so often, 64% of men... In this room, according to statistics, Christian men uh, will intentionally view pornography on a monthly basis. And every time you click on that, you're feeding human trafficking. Because the majority of people that are used in those things are there against their wills. They're prostitutes. Uh, different folks that are are being... The good
0: news is there's hope. I've been at this long enough because I've been doing this for decades that I have the luxury of hindsight. And I can promise you that when you stick with people and you don't give up on them, you see hope. So I can see generational change. I can sit at a banquet where a woman who was forced by her family to go in the red light district, three times she told them no, Third time, they just left her there to be broken. And we come into her life and we offer her to way, may, a way to make a living, you know, with making jewelry or cosmetology or something with dignity and she jumped at it and came to know the true and living God. And now her mother, she led her mother to Christ and her daughters there. So three generations all headed in a different direction. And when I said to her, Tom, what's the best thing about your life? She said, it's not that I know Christ, that my mom knows Christ, that there's a church plant in the village that I came from where 90% of the girls are forced into this. She said, the best news, Becky, is that some mornings I wake up and I have to remind myself of what my life used to be and that is Jesus Christ you can build a safe house but you can't give someone a new mind only Jesus Christ can do that and I don't care what anybody's gone through in this room Jesus Christ can make the difference and we've rescued traffickers and seen them fall to their knees and call on the God of all hope and comfort
1: I'll tell you just a personal story when we first met Becky I remember when I first started learning about human trafficking, I thought, I know some bad dudes <laughs> and we can handle this. We'll go take out these traffickers <laughs> and maybe, maybe I should stop being a pastor and I'll rally the troops and we'll go on an assassin mission in Jesus' name, of course. Well, I might become a trafficker <laughs> for Jesus and run away with the baby. <laughs> but you ended, up t- you ended up reminding me and just how lost and in bondage are the traffickers and the customers. Like, there's just a cycle of bondage. Uh, It's not just the girls and the kids that are being held in traffic, but the traffickers and then also the people that are abusing.
0: You know, you don't have to have acid poured down your throat or in your face. In America, it's the acid on our self esteems right? The lies we believe that take us out at the beginning of the day, that bondage is real. And I'm at the age now where I have no anger left. When I'm in those places, those awful places of unrestrained debauchery, and right now at this very moment at 9.58 on the other side of the world, our staff are getting ready to invade the darkness and go into the red light districts of the world, with the message, come to the light. Hmm. And you know when you bring darkness into the light, it loses its power. And they are getting ready to do their job right now and whisper that. But these people are all in bondage. I have no anger. They're little broken boys and little broken girls who wakes up one day and says, I'm gonna go torture someone three times a day for a living. I'm gonna sell myself 50 times. And nobody does that. I have yet to meet that 1% of voluntary prostitution stripping and I will get back to you when I do. But if I met that woman, I would say, can I be your friend? I see you need stitches. Can I take you to the hospital? Can I pay for your stitches? Can I pick up your kids on the way? I don't really care what gets a person. We're non-sectarian in who we take, male, female, LGBTQ, X, Y, Z, whatever. We take them in if they want to run to safety and wrap arms of love around them and give them the message of what their true worth is. This is a sanctuary. Do you think? A prostituted child, woman, or boy would run into the sanctuary for sanctuary? What do you think? Or to a cop? No and yet i don't really care what organized religion does or doesn't do because every one of you are the temple of the living god you are a sanctuary in this room are hundreds of sanctuaries safe places if you can leave here today committed to be a safe place to those you love and wrap arms of love around them then i've come and i've been a success because you will be that circle protection Now, the bad news is, you know you're safe. That's good news. The bad news is, if your children can't come to you with your worst nightmare, and you not go then they won't. Their perception is your reality, so you have to get unshockable. You have to deal with this hard stuff. You, as a parent, have that sacred ability to not tell your kids anything, that that you're right. But if you don't, I promise you, it's already being told to them in ninth grade, there is an app, a Tinder app, for ninth graders to have oral sex after school. There is an app that looks like a calculator that is not a calculator. It's very nefarious. There is a handout of apps back there, and we'll be talking about some of that stuff tonight and some of the ways to create circles of protection around those you love. And I I don't want you to leave discouraged, because if I was Chicken Little coming and saying, the sky's falling in and there's slavery and there's trouble, I'd just stay home and play with my grandbabies. But I'm here to tell you that what we do is not rocket science. It's common sense, which is highly uncommon. And it's just being the body, it's just being Christ with skin on, and wrap around services and helping people walk a journey through their brokenness to healing and wholeness. Albert Einstein said, the world will not be destroyed by evil people, but by good people who see evil and do nothing. And you are good people and you are the body. And it's a precious thing when the body comes around a wounded person who's been denied that community and that family and steps into their life and gives them that and sin is bondage slavery you know I in any form it can be gossip it can be you know sin is sin is sin if the red light district has taught me anything Scott it's that I'm no different than that woman dancing a pole I sit there like a little Sunday school girl thinking, what am I doing here? And yet I realize that every time I put my ministry before God or my agenda or my husband or my children or my possessions or anything, that is spiritual idolatry and God looks at me like that. Read Hosea. And I am dancing a pole, and nobody even made me do it. And it breaks my heart, and I find that sin is sin is sin. Whether it's this big or this big, it keeps us from a holy God. And so don't ever look down your nose at these people because you don't know what they've been through and you haven't been in their shoes, and I promise you there's something in your life that's keeping you from a holy God because no man is righteous, no not one, and none of us are without sin. And so when you get to that point where you do justly, you love mercy, and you walk humbly, (laughs) you realize that you're no different, and before God, we're all all broken Mm. and we're all messy. Honestly, if we're honest, we're all broken and messy. But the greatest news of all is God's not in heaven wringing his hands. He, you know, you're all trafficked. We were all trafficked in Genesis 3, 15, 16. We were sold out to the prince, the power of the air. And God didn't look down on life outside the garden and go, nasty little life you have there, Scott and Scott and Scott and Scott. I think there's lots of Scots in this church. <laughs> but he sent an undercover rescue on Christmas day and he paid the price with his own blood at Easter, and he has a plan, and he calls us back, and that's the good news. The good news is there's hope and healing.
1: Becky, why don't you say right here? Sure. And I'll just go right back to the text. What she's talking about, Did you see in the text, you've been bought at a price? That's slave language. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom. From it. Why? Because we all had to be bought out of bondage, and so Becky's going to be back tonight, 6 30. Come back here. You're going to hear more from her. But right now, I want us to, as we go to the, wrap up this service, some of you are in bondage right now, I want to give you an opportunity to be free. The commands in this passage are simple. Flee, flee sexual morality. Some of you have been playing with it, been too comfortable with it. Part of what repentance means is you change your mind. Some of you need to change your mind about the sexual comfort in this culture. Some of you are we're like the cows on that conveyor belt. We don't even re- we're so unaware some of the things that you just said, we're so unaware of that are happening all around us, and we're contributing to. So there are people in this church who put a red X on your hand on human trafficking day, and then we'll use the same hand to click on pornography at some time in the next 30 days. That's what Jesus calls hypocrisy, because you're fueling it, and you can be free. Because the, when it says you've been bought at a price, the price is the blood of Jesus Christ. And he shed his blood so that you could be cleansed from all unrighteousness, First John 1, 9. If, if we'll confess our sins. Confess doesn't mean tell him. by the way. God doesn't need an update on your life. He knows all the details. Confess means you see sin the way that he sees sin. which what Becky was just talking about when she said that regardless of what your sin is, it's separating you from God. So it's disgusting to him. It's heinous to him. And he wants it removed. And it was because Jesus was faithful in going to the cross. And God is just. And he poured out his wrath at the cross. And when Jesus shed his blood, that's the price that was paid that we're talking about in this passage. And so we're going to give you an opportunity this morning. If you need to repent... To repent we're gonna have some male and female folks are gonna be down here in the front the worship team if you guys can come right now uh, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead a song or two or three or however long the lord leads uh, us to be in this moment and the application is going to come tonight you're going to be able to come back here and hear more but for some of you the application is dealing with right now in your heart maybe an unawareness that you've had maybe you're maybe you maybe you do fight for sexual purity but you're unaware of what was happening all around you For some of you, you've been in bondage, and you need freedom, and we want to be that sanctuary to you. So we've got hundreds of people that have the Holy Spirit here. Some of them are going to be up on the front. If you want to pray with someone, uh, they're going to be here. I'll be down here. Becky, would you go down too? I know that I didn't ask you to do that before, but if you'd be available, somebody might want to come to you that connected with something you said. Um, She'll just be down here by the steps. Um, And I'm going to start us in a prayer, and then we'll just let the Lord do whatever the Lord wants to do. Father, thank you that we can gather in your name today. Thank you that we can worship you, the living God, that you're not just an idea or a concept that's out there, but that you are living and you're moving in our midst by your spirit. I pray you'd walk up and down these aisles right now and speak into hearts and whisper freedom from bondage, freedom from past, freedom from shame, freedom from secrecy, freedom from addictions, freedom from whatever it is that people need freedom from. That they would get that freedom from you because of your precious blood that was shed when you went to the cross to buy us at this price. And Father, I pray we would run. We'd run from this, and we'd try to help our kids to run from sexual morality that we'd see the danger, that it promises something it does not deliver, that it's a lie, that we wouldn't be deceived, that you wouldn't have to say to us, don't you know, don't you know? Like you're saying to the Corinthians. Father, help us to know. Help us to know you, and to passionately love you. Thank you for joining our sermons online. We hope to see you in person soon. Our location and service times can be found at our website, sfchurch.com. If God has stirred your heart today and you'd like someone to pray with, or if you'd like more information about Jesus, please take a moment and email us at infosfchurch.com. Thank you again. God bless.